Our scripture reading tonight comes from Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 17. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves you. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Let's pray together. God, we live in a world for we are not comfortable with silence. We always have noise or or music or distractions, some kind of filler. Whether it's in the car with the radio or at home, we immediately turn on the TV, flip through hundreds of channels. God, it just seems in our minds, in our lives, there's a lot of chaos. But God, we want to hear from you. We need to hear from you. And I pray that you would allow us to hit the mute button in this world so that our ears would be open to what you want to say. So our prayer tonight, right now, is that you would speak to us, that the word that we need to hear, that you would give us ears to hear, and that we would not be distracted, that the noise around us would not keep us from hearing your voice. God, I know there are people in this room right now that it seems like you've been silent. And God, I, I, I pray that you would break through that silence, that they would hear from you tonight. It's through Jesus we pray. Amen. We about a couple that was struggling with their relationship, and they decided that the best way to deal with these problems was to go on a daytime talk show. That'll help, won't it? So they're on this national television show talking with this host who had no credentials or experience or expertise in marriage counseling. And evidently this couple, they were um, giving each other the silent treatment. And as bad as that was, they were good at it, if you can say it that way. Sometimes it would last for days, sometimes it would last for weeks, sometimes it would last for months. And in fact, they were in one of their silent treatment modes when they were on the air recording the show. And so they weren't talking to each other, they just talked to the host. And so that's how the conversation was going. And the husband was explaining that it's not working, they're not a team, there's no effective communication. And he gave an example, he said there was one time where he needed to get up early for a business flight, he needed to wake up at 5 o'clock, but the alarm was on his wife's side of the bed, And so he needed to communicate that to her, that he needed to get up at 5 o'clock. So he wrote a note, I need to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning, and he put it by her sink before bedtime, knowing that she would have to see it before she went to bed. The next morning he wakes up and he rolls over, looks at the clock, it's 7 o'clock. And he just panics, and he goes over, and he he looks at it closer, and there's a sign with a handwritten note, and it says, it's 5 o'clock, wake up doesn't help much, does it? You know, we do these things in relationships like the silent treatment. We think, that's petty, isn't it? I mean, it's this passive-aggressive way of, of treating the other, trying to make a point, stand our ground, and it really it's just sort of petty. And really, I don't think it works at all. In fact, there's one husband that wore a t-shirt and it said, please, honey, not the silent treatment, anything but that. Yeah, I detected some sarcasm in that. Not very effective. 
But here's the question. Do you ever sense that God is giving you the silent treatment? He's just not talking. He's just not answering. God, would you please help me? Would you just tell me what to do? I I need some direction here. Whatever you tell us to do, we're going to do it. Just tell us what to do. Silence. Nothing. God seems to not be there, not answering. It feels like your prayers are just bouncing off to the ceiling. We're in a study of the, of the story. This morning, we, we finished the Old Testament. And so next week, we'll begin reading about the coming Messiah. And there's these 400 years in between. Uh, the 400 years of silence, some people call it. You, you, if you study this, you hear that phrase often. It's the intertestamental period. 400 years where there is no word from the Lord. There is no prophet. There's no one talking. There's no record of God speaking. It's 400 years of silence. Look on the screen. I, I, I share this with you because I list all the, the books of the Old Testament. These are 39 books of the Old Testament and you got there, they're all in white, and I know it's small print, but just to get them all on there in a list, it had to be that small. But Ezra is right before Nehemiah. Nehemiah's in yellow with the big arrow. That's the end of the Old Testament. I want to encourage you just to get your Bible, the one you study out of the most, and when you've got your list of the books, as you get to Nehemiah and just draw a line underneath it. So that's the end of the Old Testament. Because we don't think of it that way, because when you look at the list, you think it's in the middle. But it's not the middle. We're at the end of that. Jesus will be born 400 years later. And so in between, you have these years of silence. Now, years ago, and you may have a Bible like this, I looked through several of mine, and I found this to be true, that they would put in a blank page in between the Testaments. You ever seen that? You get to the end of the Old Testament, and there's this blank page. And then you kind of turn the page, and then you've got the New Testament. And that blank page would represent these silent years. We want to talk about that a little bit. What do you do during the parts of your story where it's a blank page? Where that kind of sums it up. Where you feel like God maybe has given you the silent treatment. It's not 400 years, but it feels like it. You desperately want to hear from God. Now, we don't often talk about that openly because if everybody else seems to be okay with God, you don't want to be the only one that seems to not be listening, to not be connecting. And so we just kind of pretend like it's no big deal. You ever been talking to somebody on a cell phone, maybe a good friend, and you're telling them about a situation, maybe a problem, and and you're just the one doing most of the talking, and you're talking, you're talking, and you're talking, and then you, you realize that you've been talking so much and you're not hearing anything, and they're not there? You know, the call got dropped. And then you feel kind of ridiculous. You think, do I call them back? And at what point did the call drop? Because you were so into what you were sharing, you weren't really listening to them, giving them a chance to talk at all. Do you ever feel like that when you pray to God? That you start off your prayer and you're just so into it and you're talking to God and it just seems like God's right there and then you're going and going and going. And then God seems to be like a dropped call. Because you don't hear anything. So what do you do in the silence when it feels like God has given you the silent treatment? John Claypool wrote a book called The Light Within You. And in the book, he, he recounts about losing his young daughter to acute leukemia. 
When she was first diagnosed, they, they sought treatment and it was effective and she went into remission and it was a happy day for them. They thought they had licked it, that she had been healed, but it wasn't to be. And on Easter Sunday morning, all that came crashing down when his young daughter went into a severe relapse. It caused her to be hospitalized for several weeks. Her eyes were swollen shut. Her body was racked with pain. And Claypool just writes about all of this and he says it was just a draining experience to go through that with her, especially as a father, feeling so helpless, not able to do anything. And he tells about one night where it was especially difficult. She couldn't rest. The pain was just that intense. And so they sat in silence in a dark room. His little girl spoke up, Daddy, when would the leukemia go away? He said, honey, you know we're doing everything in our power to find the answer, to find a cure for this. You know we're doing everything we can. Silence for a while. And then she said, Dad, when did God say the leukemia would go away? He hedged a bit. Honey, you know we've been praying and praying and praying and asking for God's help. And she interrupts, yeah, but what did He say? When did he say it would go away? John Claypool writes, What do you say to such childlike directness when the heavens seem so utterly silent? How do you deal with that when you cry out to God in your moment of desperation? You need help. You need God. You're going through a trial, you're going through a challenge, and there's this moment of desperation. I think I put it on your outline, I know it's on the screen. Sometimes maybe you've asked the question, God, why don't you do something? You ever prayed that prayer to God? Why don't you do something? Now, we don't ask that as a, as a question kind of nonchalantly. It's not like, God, you know, why don't you do something? That's not it. When we get to that point, where we're asking God that question. We're not really asking a question, are we? We're telling Him, do something. In fact, sometimes we're angry because He hasn't done anything yet. God, why don't you do something? You spoke the world into existence. We're your children. I've been following you. I've been praying to you. I need to hear something. Why don't you do something? You ever pray to God like that? Why don't you do something about my money situation? Because our savings are gone. We're at the end. We need help. Why don't you do something, God, about my marriage? Because we're sick and tired of all the fighting and I'm ready just to give it all up. So why don't you do something? God, why don't you do something about my child? I don't even know what to say. I'm at the end of my rope. Why don't you do something about the Christians being persecuted? The news reports, I can't even bear to hear them. And yet more come in. And I'm asking, they're asking. So many are asking. And it seems like God is not doing anything. Just silence. And it's hard to make sense of the silence. But here's what I want us to discover as we study through this intertestamental period. There are some truths that we can hang on to to these questions like, God, why don't you do something? Because here's what I have observed is even though in a moment of clarity we understand with the chaos of life, we quickly forget. And we can be right back to that moment of desperation. I want us to understand something as we study this period. If you're studying the blank, this is the first one. In the silence, God is still at work. You need to know this. 
in the silence, God is still at work. He is still accomplishing His purposes. Even though He wasn't speaking, He was still working. And we can see that. And we see this when we take a glance at some of the history of what's going on during these 400 years. And so I'm not going to be a boring history teacher, I hope. But I want to share with you a couple of things that I think are just key. In fact, it's amazing to see God's hand at work because during this 400 years of silence, the Persian Empire, we've been talking about that, hearing about that as we've read through the story, they're trying to expand their borders. They're getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And in so doing, they want to take on Greece. But when they do that, it doesn't go well. They're at war with them, but the Greeks defeat the Persians. Uh, Philip, the Macedon, unites them in war. They defeat them. Then he dies, his son Alexander. You ever heard of him? We call him Alexander the Great. Kind of took over from there. He got that name because in 12 years, he conquered the world. That will kind of give you that title if you do that. But here's why that's significant. I didn't put these as blanks. I think they're going to be on the screen. But during this time, Greece is now ruling the world. And as a result, you've got a lot of things that happen because Greece is dominant. For one, there's this common language. For the first time since the Tower of Babel, you've got one language that is spreading throughout the world. It was said during this time, in those days, everyone spoke a little Greek. So you've got this common language. There's this connection. Plus, there's some ways of learning that go with this. The Socratic method of asking questions. Now, they don't always have the answers, but that's kind of sweeping the whole culture, the whole world of asking questions. What if? What about? And so you've got this permeating the world at this time. All of this is preparing the way for Jesus. I want you to see that. Every one of these maneuvers. You might think about what's going on as, ah, well, the Bible's just kind of quiet. You know, it's, it's kind of on uh, uh, pause and it's going to pick back up in Matthew 1. But not so. All of this is working together for good. In fact, here's the point. This common language, suddenly, think about it. The good news of Jesus Christ could be spread throughout. Because now you've got this common language that's there. And plus this common way of thinking. They're asking questions. What's the answer? Well, the answer is about to be born. 400 years, He's coming. He's the answer. They don't even know the questions. But it's also during this time, I think it's 280 B.C., the Old Testament Scriptures, remember they're written in Hebrew, they're translated into Greek. You ever heard of the Septuagint? And that's key, because now you've got this common language. Not everybody spoke, we mentioned that, but if you wanted to, you could get it. You could read it. You could learn it. Now the whole world has access to Scriptures to tell about the one true God. To read all the prophecies about the coming Messiah. All this is happening. Then about 174 B.C., the Greek ruler wanted to reorganize Jerusalem as a, as a Greek city. So he passed an edict that totally disallowed any observance of the Sabbath circumcision, dietary laws, any of the temple sacrifices. And to make things worse, he defiled the temple by erecting a statue of Zeus. Kind of sounds like back in, the, in captivity, doesn't it? Well, this edict incited the Maccabean Revolt. If you ever studied this period, you'll remember that name. An aged priest defied it by killing a Syrian official and another Jew that were preparing to sacrifice to, to Zeus. His five sons took over the reign, especially Judas Maccabeus. The temple was cleansed and rededicated. You ever wonder where Hanukkah came from? 
It's celebrating this return to God that the Jews wanted to be able to worship Him. These Maccabean priests-kings then ruled from 135 into 63 over, over all of Jerusalem, all, over all that land. But on a bigger note during this time, you know, the Greeks were in charge, the Greek language was taken over, and, and more and more we're learning that. But also during this time, the Romans defeat them. So they become the empire that's conquered all of the world. And in doing that, we think about, we know something about that, don't we? Do you know an emperor or two in the Roman Empire? Maybe Julius Caesar? Remember what you know about him and some of the chaos during his reign in the Civil War? And that's true. All of that happened. But after him, Caesar Augustus came to the throne and peace came to the Roman Empire. And I don't just mean as you read through this in history, it's like, well, that sounds like it was kind of a nice segment. There was a name. It is called the Pax Romana. It's a period of time, about 200 years, where there was peace. Now, why is that important? We think about it. If you add that to all the other things we're talking about, there's peace around the world. Would anybody like to get on a plane and go to Israel right now? Syria? Damascus? Come on, let's go. Let's get a bus. We don't want to go, do we? Why? Because it's so dangerous over there. There's so much war and infighting. It's so insecure. But now there's peace in the world. Add to that travel like never before. You've got this interstate system that's coming into existence. And so you put all these things together. Oh, let me share one more. Synagogues. Now, on the huge stage, that's not that important. But from the standpoint of getting the Word out about Jesus it was huge. No one can be exactly sure about the origin of the synagogue. You ever wondered about that? I mean, you read about the temple and the tabernacle in the Old Testament, but not really about the synagogue. Where does it come from? You turn to Matthew, and there it is. Everywhere. In fact, at the time of Jerusalem and the temple, it said there were 480 of them synagogues in Jerusalem. Well, what's a synagogue? Well, even in Scripture, when you read about how the word is used, it's kind of used both ways. Sort of the way we use the word church. You know, we talk about church as being the building, even though it's not, but we talk about it, you know, being the building. But we know it's also the people. Synagogue is the same way. Scripture uses it that way. It would talk about going to the synagogue, meaning going to the structure, going to the building, but it also would talk about the synagogue disbanding or breaking up, meaning the congregation or, or the people. And so what you've got during this time are these synagogues, not just there in Jerusalem, but throughout now, some people trace this back to the exile, maybe even before then, but obviously during these 400 years, it just grows and grows and grows. And do you remember Jesus? Went to the synagogue constantly? You read through the Gospels, that's, again, why does all this matter? Think about it. the world stage is set for the coming Messiah. Jesus is born, the good news of the kingdom is able to be spread, there's peace. There's travel throughout. If you were here for the That the World May Know series and you got the whole graph there how all the known world had to come through the land of Canaan, the timing was perfect. The circumstances were totally being created by God to make everything work. And then beyond that, you've got these outposts, these synagogues. Remember how Paul and the other apostles as they were sharing the good news, they would go to the synagogue in the cities. They had an automatic stop. An automatic open door. Where do you start? Well, go to the synagogue. 
all this happens, you trace it back to these 400 years. Here's the point. It appears that God is silent. It appears that God's kind of going, okay, let's just kind of wait. But that's not what's going on. God was doing something. In fact, He's preparing the way. He's changing everything. So when you sit and you listen and you wait for God and He seems to be silent and it seems like He's not saying anything, let me just encourage you to listen a little more closely because even though you may not hear Him speak, that does not mean He is not working. That's where your faith comes in. Even in the silence, God is still at work. He's not left you. He's not abandoned you. Well, number two, here's another truth I think we can hang on into the silence. In the silence, God still keeps His promises. God still keeps His promises. When we say, God, why don't you do something? The truth is, God has already said something to us. And He's given us a copy of it. It was true then and it's true now. He said it and it's recorded in Scripture. God keeps His promises. But here's what's clear as you study through this intertestamental period. These 400 years of silence. Think about this is not 20 years. This is not 40 years. This is 400 years. This is generation after generation after generation. This is a long time. And it seems that God isn't just being quiet. It could easily appear that God's AWOL abandoned them, left them. But he is not. And this is where, if you look at the history of this intertestamental period, you find out that all these details, so many of them we've been talking about the last few minutes, they're prophesied by God's people. The Daniel, he records event for event what would happen during these 400 years' time. There's going to be this empire, then this empire, then this empire. Remember reading that in the book of Daniel? It's like the Word tells you what's going to happen before it happened. God knew it. So we go back and we're reminded of this truth that God spoke even before the storm, even before the silence. Here's what's going to happen. So don't be surprised. Just read a copy of what you've already got. One author described it like this, and I thought this was a, a good explanation. Imagine a young married couple. Not been married long, and, and he's in the military. And he gets his orders. He's going to Afghanistan. And his assignment is such that there will be no communication and he's not even sure how long it will be. No email, no phone calls, no Skype, no FaceTime, nothing. And he knows. They've been prepared. I mean, they're a military family. They, they knew this could happen. And he's got just a matter of days. And that young bride, she stays up late and she's riding down so many things. Because when he leaves, she wants to send with him a note, a message, a word. Here's what you need to know about how I believe in you. Here's what you need to know about how much I love you. Here's what you need to know about when you come back, what I'm going to be waiting for you. Here's what I want you to know. And I love you, and I love you, and I love you. So that when he's gone, there's no email, there's no up-to-date message, but he has with him a copy that he can go to and read. And to know that it was true then, and it's true that very day. That's what God has given us through Scripture. 
The word is that for us. In these moments of silence, we know God has spoken. He keeps His promises. He keeps His word. What He says is true. I'm sure the people of God encouraged each other with their words during these 400 years of silence. When they would gather for these feast days, that's why there was the revolt. You take away the temple, you take away our our, our feast days, they would gather for the Passover and they would remember what God did for His people in Egypt. Or maybe they read passages like Isaiah 41.10. God says, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Or then we get together and read Jeremiah 29, 11, where God says to His people, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. So in this time of silence, you open up the Word of God and you hear His promises and you're reminded of what He said. Because it was true and it is true. It's still true. He has spoken. And folks, we can do the same thing. We can open up our Bibles and read passages like Romans 8.28. We know that all things work for good for those who love Him, who've been called according to His purpose. Or Philippians 1.6. Paul says that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Or even Revelation 21, 4-5. There is a day coming. And here's the promise. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne and said, I am making everything new. And we hold on to those promises in the moments of darkness and those periods of silence when we're walking away from the grave and we think, there'll be no more mourning. There'll be no more tears. God says, I'm making everything new. And you hang on because God still keeps His promise. Well, number three, another truth we can learn. In the silence, God is still watching In the silence, God is still watching. Because it feels at times like He's not paying attention. God, are you seeing what I'm seeing? Are you okay with this? But God knows. God is watching. In our Old Testament, we read of one of God's servants named Job. A righteous man. A great man of God. He loses everything though. That's what we remember about Job. His story is just so remarkable. He loses his wealth. He loses his health. He loses his servants. But more than that, not just stuff, he loses his children. He just loses so much. And he's left there trying to make sense of it. And so he asks questions. The same questions we ask. I mean, I think He speaks for all of us. God, why is this happening? God, where are You? God, do You see this? But in Job 23, He makes some sense of the silence. And and listen to what He says. Job 23, verse 8. But if I go to the east, He's not there. If I go to the west, I do not find Him. When He's at work in the north, I do not see Him. When He turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of Him. But look what he writes next. Verse 10. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. 
he describes this as a test. The book of Job explains that God removed His hedge of protection from around Job. That God's not causing all these things, but He's allowing these things. And that's a key detail. He removes the hedge of protection. He allows these things. And Job's assessment of this is a test. That's what it is. And I'll come out as pure gold. Job 23, look in 10 and 11. My feet have closely followed His steps. I have kept to His way without turning aside. I have not departed from the commands of His lips. I have treasured the words of His mouth more than my daily bread. Hear the words of Job. He said, honestly, I'm looking for Him. North, south, east, west, I don't see Him. I don't see Him. I'm crying out, I don't hear Him. But here's what I know. Job says, He sees me. God is still watching. And it's a test. Not necessarily sent by God, but allowed by God. And in this test, Job says, I'm going to come out okay. Because I believe in God. And I've held on to His Word. And I'm walking in His paths. I wrote this out because I want to make sure I say this correctly. Because this is where we get into some some bad theology. The primary purpose of God's silence may not be to test our faith. In other words, I'm not saying that every time you sense God is silent, that, that may not mean He's testing you. It's not always because God is testing your faith. But here's the point, if you're filling the blanks. In the silence, our faith is always tested. The test may not be from God, but our faith still is tested. And we need to know that. So as you study this intertestamental period, one of the things you find is some of the tests that we see here are, are inspirations for us. And we see people coming through it. And for generations, this is what it's going to look like to be faithful to God. There are some books that are written during this time. They're not in our Bible. But they were written during this time. And they tell about the history of the Jews. One of them is called the Book of Maccabees. And it records about the faithfulness of God's people during some very, very dark times. The second book of Maccabees, it tells about the time when Assyria army came into Jerusalem to persecute some of the Jewish leaders and the leading families. And they went to this one particular part of town. They pull out a mother and the seven sons. The husband, the father, was already dead. They go to the oldest of the seven sons and they said this, you'll either reject the commands of God or you'll be killed on this day. And they would give him a piece of pork. Because if you ate the pork, that was his denying God. And so he had a choice. The brother, the oldest, refused. The second book of Maccabees records, his hands and feet were cut off, his tongue was cut out, he was burned alive in front of his mother and six brothers. Then they go to the second son. You see what's happened to your brother? You either reject the commands of God, you eat this pork, or you'll be killed as well. The second brother refuses. His upper torso was anchored to a catapult. His feet and lower body were anchored to the ground. When the catapult was tripped, he was torn in two. Go through the list of all the brothers. You get down to the one that's one son left. The captain of the guard says to the mom, you need to talk some sense to this boy. He's the last you have. She's in shock. 
she goes over to her youngest son and embraces him for what would be the last time and says this. My son, have pity on me. I carried you nine months in my womb and nursed you. I have reared you and brought you up to the point in life. I have taken care of you. And I beg you on this day to look at the heavens and earth and see everything in them. Do not fear this butcher, but prove worthy of your brothers. Accept death, so that in God's mercy, I may get you back again, along with your brothers. The ultimatum was given to the youngest boy. He too refused and was executed. In Revelation 2.10, Jesus says to the churches, Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. But we know that when we read the context of that, the NIV actually renders that first part better. Be faithful to the point of death. Of course, that doesn't include until the day you die, but the idea, the context is, even if you're persecuted, even if you are at that point, and here's what I would say, sometimes in the silence, your faith is being tested. Think of it like this. Teacher comes in, toward the end of the semester. She spent every class period, all semester long, teaching you, preparing you for this final exam. Even telling you those last couple of weeks what's going to be on the test. Giving you study notes, a study guide. Here's what you need to know. Here's how you need to be prepared. She answers all the questions. She reviews. She helps them to understand. This is what you need to expect. This is what's coming. She talks. She answers. But think about what we know. At the moment of the tests, when the final exam is handed out, the teacher says nothing. They're silent. Rooting for you, you bet. They want you to do well. But it's your time of test. One theologian put it this way, the silence of God is like a teacher who is silent during a test. God knows you're ready. And just like Job says, I know this is a test. And I'm going to come out like pure gold. When you think about all the history of what happened during these 400 years, what seems like silence, that maybe God has forgotten to even abandon His people, He hadn't. He's working. He's moving. But the teacher is always silent during the test. Let's pray. God, you know that I wanted to end this message with a bow. Where it ends nice. We all like a happily ever after story. But God, we want to know from You exactly when everything's going to be okay. When You're going to make everything right. Lord, would You help us to be faithful? Would You allow the test to bring out the truth that has been put in each of us? God, the reality is that
you have not left us. In fact, you're not just with us, that you are in us. You have given us the gift of your Holy Spirit as Christians. And you are guiding us and directing us. And you're giving us strength. But still, God, there are times when it seems like you're silent. So God, I would ask that in those moments that our faith would be the strongest and it would be demonstrated. So God, help us to be faithful even in the silence. It's through Jesus we pray. Amen. Here's a thought. In the silence, we've been talking about this this whole lesson. We look up to God. We pray to God. We want a word from God. We're anticipating something for Him. But could it be just the opposite? In the silence, God is waiting for you. He's been speaking for years. We have it recorded in our own language, multiple versions. He's put people in your life. He's kept you alive. And what He wants to do is hear from you. So in the moment of silence, it's not so much God, where are you? It's God asking each of us, what about you? We're going to stand and sing a song to worship and to invite you to think about heaven's invitation. If we can pray for you and your walk and your relationship and your faith, we want to do that. If we can help you as you confess the name of Jesus, have your sins washed away in baptism, as you repent of a former way of living and you give your life to allow His Holy Spirit to live in you, we want to help you. Why don't you come as we stand and sing?